Have you ever known anybody ever that after um, you've known them for a while, something seemed to change and they changed so much that it was almost like you didn't know them anymore? Anyone ever have anyone like that? I have that actually a couple different times in a couple different spaces. Um, uh, certainly, um, there's one thing to know a person in person, and then another thing to know them online. There's sometimes when you see and sort of interact with a person's online presence, you wonder if you really know them. You ever have that experience? I certainly have had that experience, and I'm sure there's some people who may say that about me. Um, there was one in particular, one guy that I remember. Um, he and I worked together on some ministry stuff. Uh, for a number of years, he was involved in a team that I was a part of. And um, he was some, one of those guys that when he prayed, um, it was like there was something unique, special, and different about his prayers. Like it was all of a sudden as if everything else stopped and you could hear the spirit in a very specific way. Like there was something unique and special about what this guy brought that when he prayed, and oftentimes it would end up happening in the team that we were a part of, we always asked him to pray because it seemed like there was a unique and special power in his prayers. And then for whatever reason, I lost track of him for about a year and a half, two years, and I ran into him somewhere else that was not really a part of what we had been doing together in the past. It was just sort of in public. And I began to talk to him, and I talked to him for about 30 seconds, and instantly there was a difference. And this was a person who I didn't know anymore because every other word that he spoke was an F-bomb or another four-letter word. Something horrible that I'd never thought that a person like this would ever say. Now, of course, over time, after I, I said goodbye and I wished him well, um, uh, I found out that some things had radically changed in his life and he had gone through mix, some experiences that were incredibly difficult and painful. And at the end of it all, I remember saying to someone that I was, I had, we had been on the same team together, it's like he's a different person. I just don't know him anymore. Something changed so much Something changes in different people so much that you just don't know them anymore. What's really interesting about our text from Job is that's sort of how God interacts with Job at this point. Remember, we've gone through, um, what, how many? 37 chapters of Job's experience of suffering. The first two chapters being the difficulty that he experienced in being tested by God and through the experience of, of being afflicted by Satan. And then all this discussion with all of his friends. And now the God that he is arguing against shows up and the way that God interacts with him, right at the beginning especially, it's almost like God doesn't know Job anymore because of who he's become. That's what we're going to discover a little bit more about as we dig into God's word together. As we do so, let's pray the Spirit's movement among us. We can learn more about who Christ is. Father, equip us through the power of your word and your spirit that is present here to learn more about who you are and how it is that you call us to live in relationship with you, and especially as we consider some of the big things and the hard questions of life. Lord, give us eyes to see your glory. Give us eyes to see your plan and your purpose and how you are active among us, even now in this moment, in this time, in this place.
And Lord, out of that, that we can go from this place at peace with you, longing for more of you in this world, trusting, Lord, that whatever it is that's ahead, you've got this. Lord, we pray all these things in the name of Jesus and God's people said together, amen. Let's dig into Job chapter 38. Turn in your Bible there. We're going to begin with the first 21 verses of Job 38. Remember, we just finished the speech of Elihu. Elihu is sort of a, a preamble to God's words. And then God shows up where I've been longing to get to for a really long time. We're there now. Then the Lord spoke to Job out of the storm. He said... Who is this that obscures my plans without words, without knowledge? Brace yourself like a man. I will question you and you shall answer me. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? On what were its footing set? Or who laid its cornerstone? While the morning stars sang together and all the angels shouted for joy. Who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from the womb? When I made the clouds its garment and wrapped it in thick darkness. When I fixed the limits for it and set its doors and bars in place. When I said, this far you may come and no farther... Here is where your proud ways halt. Have you ever given orders to the morning or shown the dawn its place that it might take the earth by the edges and shake the wicked out of it? The earth takes shape like clay under a seal. Its features stand out like those of a garment. The wicked are denied their light and their upraised arm is broken. Have you journeyed to the springs of the sea or walked in the recesses of the deep? Have the gates of death been shown to you? Have you seen the gates of the deepest darkness? Have you comprehended the vast expanses of the earth? Tell me if you know all this. What is the way to the abode of light? Where does darkness reside? Can you take them to their places? Do you know the paths to their dwellings? Surely you know, for you are, were already born. You have lived so many years. God is talking to Job, and pretty quickly, you can imagine being in that space with Job. Job is taken aback. Job is confronted, and you can almost imagine in that moment him sitting there and starting to hear the voice of God, and within moments, his jaw dropping. Because he's, what he's being confronted with have almost nothing to do with every argument that he has set before God for his suffering. Remember, for the first 37 chapters, we've heard Job long for an answer from God about why he is having to suffer. Give me a, a reason, God. Show me, give me a case. Give me some understanding. And God doesn't even go to what Job asked him to do. God, God speaks like this. And really what he's speaking is, tell me, Job, were you the creator? Do you have understanding even about how creation works? But even more so, as we begin this passage, he does something very unique in his relationship with Job, is he questions Job almost like Job is a stranger to him. Look at verse 2. It says this there. Excuse me. 
wind blew it over. Who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge, right? So obviously, God is treating Job like he is an unknown person to him. Now, really quickly, let's contrast that with chapter 2, verse 3. Turn back in your Bible, Job chapter 2, verse 3. It says this there. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is no one on earth like him. He is blameless and upright, a man who fears God and shuns evil. And he still maintains his integrity, though you incited me against him to ruin him without any reason. In chapter 2, we have God being intimate with knowledge of Job, understanding and knowing not only who he is, but what his ways look like. And when we get to chapter 38, verse 2, we hear this, who is this that obscures my plans with words without knowledge? It's almost like he doesn't even know Job. Because the way that Job now interacts with him is foreign to God's previous relationship with him because in all those chapters, 37 chapters, Job is seeking an independent hearing before God. God, help me understand. Job is acting in independence. Not dependence. Because we know, right, that God calls us to depend on him, right? Isn't that the chief end of believers to have faith and trust in God? Faith and trust being dependence? For 37 chapters, Job has sought independence. God, give me a hearing. You tell me why. He's seeking to be acknowledged in his person. And God is saying, in what you've done by seeking that sort of knowledge of me, Job, I don't know you anymore. You're not showing me faith. You're not depending on me. You're not seeking answers from me and hope from me. You're seeking answers from your friends, from yourself, from your idea of what I should tell you and not what, in fact, I have shown you. Because let me show you what I've shown you. That's what all this chapter is. That's what the next chapter is. That's what the next chapter is. Is God showing Job, this is how I've shown up in your life, and that's enough. This is how I have shown myself to you. I have shown myself to you in the darkness and the light, having a home in your world to show you my love. I have shown you myself in creation giving you a space and a place to live and experience me in all my glory. And he's saying that to us too. Beginning with creative, God is challenging Job's capacity to even live into something like creation. God gives a picture of the beauty of his creation and he's wondering if Job can participate. But we know that Job can't because we certainly can't, right? We can't give answer to any of these questions. Notice they're all questions. Where were you when I laid the earth's foundations? We weren't even a glint in anyone's eye. We're not eternal like God. Notice that that's his final point towards Job. In verse 21, he says this, Surely you know you were already born. You have lived so many years. Job's not eternal. Neither are we. So what God is confronting Job with is also what he's confronting us with. We're in that same place of as we try to understand God, what are we understanding? He's saying, understand my vastness. Understand my power to create, to give you all of this. And if I have given you all this, can you but trust me 
with where you are now. The passage continues, verse 22. Have you entered the storehouses of the snow or seen the storehouses of the hail, which I reserve for times of trouble, for days of war and battle? What is the way to the place where the lightning is dispersed or the place where the east winds are scattered over the earth? Who cuts a channel for the torrents of rain or a path for the thunderstorm to water a land where no one lives, an inhabited desert, to satisfy a desolate wasteland and make it sprout with grass? Does the rain have a father? Who fathers drops of dew? From whose womb came the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? When the waters became hard as stone, when the surface of the deep is frozen? Can you bind the chains of Pleiades? Can you loosen Orion's belt? Can you bring forth the constellations in their seasons or let out the bear with its cubs? Do you know the laws of the heavens? Can you set up God's dominion over the earth? Can you raise your voice to the clouds and cover yourself with a flood of water? Do you send the lightning bolts on their way? Do they report to you, here we are. Who gives the ibis wisdom or gives the rooster, rooster understanding? Who has the wisdom to count the clouds? Who can tip over the water jars of the heavens when the dust becomes hard and the clods of earth stick together? Do you hunt the prey for the lioness and satisfy the hunger of the lions when they crouch in their dens or lie in wait in a thicket? Who provides food for the raven when its young cry out to God and wander about for lack of food? In this passage, we're hearing God narrow his questions for Job's sake. He begins with the big things. Where were you in the light and in the darkness? Where were you in when the earth's dominions were made? And by the end of this chapter, we get down all the way into the den where the lions crouch. Where are you even in those small particulars in that one little space? And of course, Job has no answer for the big, big things of creation, nor for the small Neither do we. And some of these questions certainly seem like impossible questions. Look at 28 and 29. It says this, does the rain have a father? Who fathers the drops of dew? From whom's womb comes the ice? Who gives birth to the frost from the heavens? Would the, I don't even know what an answer to that is. All I can say is all those things come from God's shaping and forming of all of creation for his plan and purpose for his glory. But I have no knowledge. Sure, we can go into science and we can understand all these things about how these things were formed but where did they become something it became something in God notice God's movement from the enormous first four and five to the very particular and small even the lion in its den with its young is a place where I dwell what we're hearing from God is God is everywhere in all things and if we're going to try to speak for God in any way, if we're going to try to accuse God for anything, if we're going to try to name anything about who God is or what he is, we need to take into account all the things that he is in all their complexity, in all their beauty, in all their power, in all God's involvement in the vastness of all creation and in the minutia of this exact spot right here in this space that God is there as well. So the, here's one of the challenges then. In our world, we have a lot of people for talking about what God is doing in our world, don't we? We have a lot of people saying, well, this is what God is doing. God is judging people with some of the stuff. I've heard that about the pandemic. 
This is God's justice, right? This is God's judgment against an ungodly people. We need to turn back to God. Are you sure? Are we sure about that? God is in the vastness of all creation. He is in everything. Is God perhaps not only in the pandemic, but also in the vaccine and sustaining people in the vaccine and in the care for them in their homes and in their places. And God is, is doing something that I can't even think of or imagine. Is that possible? And the answer, of course, is absolutely yes. See, I'm really hesitant right now in our world for any number of reasons to say anything about this is where God lives and this is not where he lives. This is what God is doing and this is what not God, God's not doing. Because I don't under, I'm hearing from this passage, right? I can't get God in any way, shape, or form because I'm not in his space. I can't do the things that he does. I can't be a part of his work in any way, shape, or form unless he allows me to be a part of it. So who am I to use God's words? To say anything about what he does. Here's what I'm in the mode now. If you're ever watching my social media for whatever reason, if you see what I do online, or mostly even in public in any way, shape, or form, I'm a little different, different in private. James and I have some conversations about that with some others as well. But in public, and certainly in a broader scope, you know what you're going to hear me share online or in any public space? You're going to hear me share one of two things. Pictures of the most beautiful grandchild on the entire planet because he is amazing and incredible and he all of your kids pale in comparison to Theo or you're going to see me share God's word. That's it. I'm going to share scripture. I'm going to share how we understand scripture and this thing. Why? Because in all of the world around me, I have no capacity in any way to understand what God is doing and how he is doing it, where he dwells and where he is leaving that place behind, where he is showing justice, where he is showing mercy. I have no capacity as I understand these passages to make those sorts of claims unless I am living in the thing that he spoke to us that gives us a deeper understanding of who he is this is God's voice and if I'm going to speak for God I'm going to use his words not mine because I'm a doofus and so are you when it comes to understanding how God is at work in all of his creation we ask the question what is God doing in our world I don't know, but I know he's here, and I know he's active. Where is he active? In Mary's life, in Russell's life, in Shana's life, in your life, in your space, in your time, in his way for his glory. That's what God is doing in all those places and spaces. And we even hear more how much God lives in those individual places and spaces. Look at verse or chapter 39. It says this. Do you know when the mountain goats give birth? Do you watch when the doe bears her fawn? Do you count the months till they bear? Do you know the time they give birth? They crouch down and bring forth their young. Their labor pains are ended. Their young thrive and go strong in the wilds. They leave and do not return. Who let the wild donkey go free? 
Who untied its ropes? Who gave, I gave it the wasteland as its home, the salt flats as its habitat. It laughs at the commotion in the town, does not hear a driver's shout. It ranges the hills for its pasture and churches, searches for any green thing. Will the wild ox consent to serve you? Will it stay by your manger at night? Can you hold it to the furrow with a harness? Will it till the valleys behind you? Will you rely on it for its great strength? Will you leave your heavy work to it? Can you trust it to haul in your grain and bring, in your, bring it to your th threshing floor? The wings of the ostrich flap joyfully, though they cannot compare with the wings and the feathers of the stork. She lays her eggs in the ground and lets them warm in the sand, unmindful that a foot may crush them, that some wild animal may trample them. She treats her young harshly as if they were not hers. She cares not that her labor was in vain, for God did not endow her with wisdom or give her a share of good sense. Yet when she spreads her feathers to run, she laughs at horse and rides. Look at all those different animals and spaces that God names. And he's in each one of them. And he's present and active in each of those spaces. And for us to be reminded that if God loves his creation enough to be active in the life of that bird right there, that bird's singing for his glory, that God is present in where that bird's nest is, where its young are, what its life cycle is, then if he is present and loves the trajectory of life for that bird, how much more does he love us? Does he know you? And involved in your world, in fact, that sort of sounds like scripture, doesn't it? Turn in your Bibles, Luke chapter 12, verse 7. It says this there. Luke chapter 12, verse 7 says this. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies, yet not one of them is forgotten by God? Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all number, numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. If God is at work in that bird's life, how much more is he present with you in your circumstances and he knows them all? And he's active. And here's the thing, right? In our world, we're fearful that God has forgotten us. God has forgotten us in a pandemic that just has wreaked havoc in our lives. We're fearful that God has forgotten us as we've seen politics fracture, not only what's happening in Washington, but throughout this country and even in the dialogue that we might have here on the patio or online right now. That we feel like God has forgotten us in the specific trials that we face, whether with our children or with our parents, whether in school or in work, in our neighborhoods or in our world, wherever. We wonder if God has forgotten us. We've taken the same step that Job often, that Job did in the first 37 chapters of Job. We've said, God, give us answer. And you know what God's answer is? Listen closely. It's that bird. It's that bird singing to us. I am cared for by the creator of the universe and he loves me. There's a plan and a purpose for my life. And if 
We are worth more than many and many of those birds. Can we trust in a God who is greater than we can think of or imagine? Can we believe that God has this? And that God has it for his glory? That in a fractured, broken world that is, frankly, no more fractured or broken than it was 18 months ago or 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 100 years ago. If God has been present in this broken and fractured world, active in the lives of all of his people and all of his creation, can't we trust that for right now? Can't we be encouraged? Can't we stand silent before God as Job does and say, to you be the glory. I will be but trust in you. When I speak, it will be with your words and not mine because your words are the only words that I can trust. Verses 19 through 30 of chapter 39. Do you give the horse its strength or clothe its neck with a flowing mane? Do you make it leap like a locust striking terror with its proud snorting? It's paws fiercely rejoicing in its strength and charges into the fray. It laughs at fear, afraid of nothing, does not shy away from the sword. The quiver rattles against its side along with the flashing spear and lance. In frenzied excitement, it eats up the ground. It cannot stand still when the trumpet sounds. At the blast of the trumpet, it snorts. Aha! Catches the scent of battle from afar, the shout of commanders and the battle cry. Does the hawk take flight by your wisdom? And spread its wings toward the south as the eagle soar at your command. Build its nest on high. It dwells on a cliff and stays there at night. A rocky crag is its foothold. From there it looks for food. Its eyes detect it from afar. Its young ones feast on blood. And where the slain are, there it is. We hear again the particulars in the life of a horse and in the life of a hawk. And you start to add up and start to list all of the different, what is it, kingdom, phylum, class, order, family, genus, species, is that the way it goes, of all of creation, and that's all living things, everything that has biology, life in it. And God knows in all of those different things what it is that that creature needs, what it is that that creature and how that creature is sustained. You start to list that. We are talking about literally tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of different things, let alone multiply that within this space right now, within what is it? I think it's within a half a mile of where we are. There are right now over 10 million ants. Think about that. 10 million ants within a half a mile of where we sit right now. And God is at work in each of them. Do you actually believe that God cares about your life? Do you actually believe that God is active in his world? He's in all of those spaces. Is he present with you? And here's the thing at the end, right? We don't hear Job answer. We're going to hear him answer eventually. He answers actually, and I think it's chapter 41, 42. He finally says something, and what he says isn't much. But here's the thing with every single question asked, that if it were asked of God, you know what he would be able to say? Yes. Okay, God is present in all those things. That's why he asked those questions, because he knows the particular of all of creation. So where do we go with all this? Here's where we go. 
First of all, I think we as followers of Jesus need to speak our words less and God's words more. I really struggle right now in the world of opeds, opinion or editorials that we live in. That we say, this is my opinion. It is my right to share my opinion. Yes, it's your right. Yes, you should share it in an appropriate context. But here's the thing. All of your opinion, all of my thoughts, all of the things that are helpful and good and blessed to share in our world, all things that we're called to be about, we're called to bless and not curse. We're called to love and not give harm to others. All of those things are things that are sourced fully and completely from God. So let's use his words first. Let's speak God's presence more. Let's speak his love as our primary message. And then at the end, perhaps we can say, and here's some of what I think. But we do that even in submission to God's will. The other thing that I think we can take away from all this is where peace dwells. How many of you long for more peace? How many of you have trouble right now sleeping at night sometimes because you're concerned about the world we live in? You're concerned maybe about, how many of you are concerned about the uh, political atmosphere we live in right now? How many of you are concerned about the pandemic? How many of you are concerned about your families? Here's my question. Mark, is God at work in the Leonard family? Is God present in all facets of your interactions with your three girls and your wife? Does he, has a plan, does he have a plan and a purpose to glorify himself in your world? And is he ever taking a nap on that? Never is. Who said Political. Who said that they're concerned about political environment? Mike, does God have a plan and a purpose in Washington? Was he in president in Washington? Actually, not Washington in 1776. That was Philadelphia. But later on, when Washington was established as our capital, did, was he there? Was he there last Wednesday or Wednesday a week and a half ago? Is he there today? Is he ever going to leave? How much is he present? Is he present like active and all, present in all conversations? So what you're saying is that God's got that. How many are you concerned about the pandemic? Don, is God present when the pandemic began wherever it was in Wuhan, China? Was he present there? Was he present when, unfortunately, hundreds of thousands of people in this country, even millions of people around the world, have died? Was he present there? Is he present right now in every single ICU, emergency room, and home where COVID is present, including homes that are touched here in very intimate and close ways? Is God present in all these things? And is he ever going to take a nap from that? Do you believe that? I'm going to ask you all again. Do you really believe that? Because if you and I really believe, then we take heart one of the most used passages of all of Scripture over and over again. Do not fear. The God who was there when light was separated into darkness, when out of the formless and void, he created all of this and all of that and all of you 
and all of me. And if God is present with creation, then he is present in issues of social justice, wherever they might be. He is present in issues of the pandemic, whatever issues those are. He is present in the political spectrum of this country and every country throughout all of history forever and ever. And he says to us over and over and over again in the text, do not fear. Because when we begin to fear, it's when we do what Job does and say, but God, I don't understand. I don't get it. It doesn't make sense to me. I wish you would give me this. I wish you would give me that. I wish you would give answer. That's what Job asked for 37 chapters. And at the end of it all, God said, look at all this. Look at your life. Look at your heart. Look at your home. Look at all of it. And I've got this because I am bigger than all of it. And the beauty of that is that that is not just for creation. It is also personal. Let's pray together. Father, we say those words. You are good. But do we truly understand what it is that we are saying? That you are good to us through the stars in the sky. Show the beauty of the universe. That you are good to us in the bird that sings in the morning as we wake. You are good to us in the family and friends that we know who love us and care for us. You are good to us in bodies that do exactly what it is that you created them to do. You are good in everything, in all time, in all space. We pray, O God, that you give us eyes to see. But Lord, even in this world, we ask even more. We ask, Lord, that you give us confidence and faith. That, Lord, you will banish fear. Banish fear from our hearts and our minds because we can truly say, believe, and live out in all things. My God is greater. My God is stronger. My God is higher. My God is wider. And he, my God, has got this. Equip us to that end through your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.